Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. Hey, welcome to Rama Family Church. This is our first time here, my first time to be in Australia, so it's just a joy to be with you. Uh, Pastor Tony and, and Patsy have been part of our lives for over 30 years, and uh, as he mentioned, in our sort of spiritual development, when I came to Rama, she was one of the instructors there, and boy, it was a real joy to learn and, and be taught by you, and, and we're for your fruit. So thank you for pouring into us like you did. We're so grateful to that. Uh, Pastor Tony mentioned my wife, Beth, who's my life partner and ministry partner and has been for all these years. Stand up, somebody sees you. She's the one with the hair. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah. You know what a perm is, a perm? You ever heard what a mullet, a permed mullet? The last time I had hair, I had a permed mullet. And God looked down and said, if you treat your head like that, you don't deserve to have hair. So by his sovereignty, it's been removed from me. But Beth uses her hair as an attitude of praise. It shoots up to the sky. So we, I'm in trouble already. Hey, uh, my wife, as Pastor Tony mentioned, is an incredible author. She is a writer's writer. She's written over 20 books. Currently in a process right now of writing 12 books, which is just crazy. The other day I was writing a, a message and she was writing a book. So obviously, Tony and I both married up, if you get my drift. So I'm so sorry that you got to listen to me this morning. But after this, go read one of her books. It'll really bless you. But she's a great friend, a great minister, and she'll be speaking to the students this week. And uh, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing without her. So I'm very grateful that you're here and you're my wife. This year, we celebrate 30 years of marriage in, in August. So yay. She married a much younger man and much skinnier man back then. But by the way, I thought I was looking good today until I walked by a mirror and I, and I, like a, I realized I looked like a priest. So if you could just refer to me as Father Jeff from now on, I would appreciate that. God bless you. May the Lord be with you. Thank you. See, I was waiting for some Catholic to respond to that. So thank you, former Catholic Beth. Uh, where was I? Oh, and then we have four children. So uh, we came to Kalamazoo, which is actually a city. There's really a city in the earth called Kalamazoo. People often talk about Kalamazoo, Kathmandu. Well, there is a Kathmandu, as you know, but there is actually a city called Kalamazoo. We're in southwest Michigan in the middle of the United States. Uh, Beth and I were born about an hour from there in a town called Lansing. And uh, so then she stalked me and forced me to marry her. We went to Bible school. Actually, I I was praying. I was a single guy praying for uh, a Christian wife. And then God brought Beth into my life, who was in Bible school. And that to me, you know, a girl in Bible school was like marrying a nun. It's like, I, God, I just want a Christian. I don't need a nun. Just a Christian would do. But he knew what I needed, and I needed you. So thank you for that. Um, then four, we have four children. And that was our goal was to raise a church. This is all going somewhere, by the way. This is all going somewhere. To raise a church. Uh, which this year will celebrate 25-year history, our anniversary in September, our 25th anniversary of the church. So yay, God. So our, our goal was to raise a church and raise a family. So God gave us four children, and we're very blessed to say that after all these years, uh, our kids, they, they love us. They love the church, uh, the body of Christ. They, they love each other, 
and they all have a, feel a call and are, are pursuing a call in ministry. All four of them are actively pursuing the, their roles in ministry. Our oldest daughter, Megan, and her husband both serve on our staff. She's our communications and creative arts director. He's our media tech director and runs our Bible school at our church. Our daughter, Annie, number two daughter, she is, uh, oversees our youth department. Uh, they're all, by the way, college graduates. All have attended Bible school. And so she uh, works with us with our youth. And then our son, Luke, uh, he's married to a girl named Kelsey. And they're right here with us. So you guys can stand up so we can see. Stand up so everyone can turn around. Yay. Luke's number three. And um, he, God brought a beautiful girl to our church. He got saved just for the purpose of marrying our son, which is so cool. That's the only reason she came. <laughs> meet Jesus, meet Luke. So she did, and, and they've been married. They got married last year, a year ago, May, and then after six weeks of marriage, they moved here to Australia to, to attend a small school. You may have heard of it, Hillsong yeah. College down in Sydney. So they moved across the world to come to Bible school for Bible training, which is really, you can imagine, just being married six weeks, and, which is really kind of cool because when, when you really think about it, it's like they're stuck with each other. They've got, they got nowhere to run you know, that first year, other than right into each other, because they don't know anybody else, which is awesome. But, um, but, but Luke is a real special uh, young man. He's, um, we're very thankful to you, because when our, uh, he, w- he had gone off to university, to uni, and um, he was in his first year, and our church was just big, thriving, all that stuff. Uh, our worship leader got mad about something and quit, and with her, about 90% of the worship team quit with her. So you can imagine having dynamic, powerful worship, and all of a sudden they're all gone. And so here's the cool thing. God put it on Luke's heart to move back home. He was about an hour away going to university. He moved back home for the purpose of helping us at the church to be our worship leader, uh, which was a huge sacrifice. We never asked him to do it. He just, God put it on his heart. He obeyed the Lord. And uh, it was very, very sweet uh, of him to do that. And so we owe you a lot. And we got, some, we got some pushback. You know, sometimes in church life, you don't know the whole story. You just know what you think you know. So we, he, was leading, he became one of our worship leaders and really led the team with grace and, and, all that, and all that. But yet we were criticized a little bit by, well, you just put your son into worship position because he's your son. Well, really God did, but they didn't know that he was up in our office throwing up before each Sunday when he would lead to worship because he was so nervous to do it. Uh, but they did it, you did it, and you stuck it out. And, and so he served as our worship leader for four, three, three, four years until they got married and, and came here. He's studying pastoral ministry now, and, and so we're, we're, we forever are grateful for that. That was a, such a tough time in our lives, your mom and I, uh, and you really came to help us. Thank you. So... And, and Kelsey is like, you're so cool. You're such a cool addition to our family. We're so blessed to have you in our lives. And I'm so pleased that Luke gets to love you like Jesus loves you. And you're, you're, uh, you're, you're special to us. So thank you, Lord. Um, and then we have a final son, a number, number four. Our son, Eric, he just got engaged the day before he came to Australia. So uh, talk about multitasking. We're packing and our son gets engaged. Uh, we, we knew it was going to happen, so we had a big party after the engagement. So he's going to get married, and um, uh, he, he works at the church. Um, right now in our media area, he's a really creative, really good, strong leader, good creative guy. He's helping his mom with some stuff in um, 
some things that Beth is getting ready to produce that are gonna go across the nation and really ultimately across the world. And so he's quite involved in it. And so after he gets married, I don't know where he's gonna come. So we don't know if he's gonna come here to Australia or stay in the States for Bible training or just stay with us. We're trying to figure out what, what he's gonna do with his life. But it's a real joy to have a family that all love the Lord. So that's what I wanna talk to you about this morning. I wanna talk to you about the role that a dad plays in a family. And um, it's just a simple message. It's not real deep, but it's certainly from my heart and from some experiences that we've had. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to uh, Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, uh, chapter four. And we're gonna look at the last two verses of the Old Testament. And then hold your place there and go over to Luke chapter one, the Gospel of Luke chapter one. And I'm gonna be quoting out of the New Living Translation, if your translations are different, or if you have an electronic Bible, you can go to that translation to follow along. But Luke chapter, or excuse me, Malachi chapter four. If I was gonna put a title on today's message, I'd title it, It Starts With Me. It starts with me. So point, your, point yourself and say that with me. Say, it starts with me. So one of the things about being a Christian is we have to be Christians. We have to be a Christian and we have to really seek after God and, and seek to follow him and to please him uh, with our lives. That's what we do. And then if we're ever going to have anybody follow us, we've got to make sure we're, we're, we're sending them in the right direction. It reminds me of a, of a verse when it comes to being a parent. Uh, Psalm 127 in verse 4 talks about children being an arrow in a warrior's hand. Children are like arrows in a warrior's hand. Think about an arrow for a minute. An arrow, you know, the Bible also says that a, a man is blessed who has his quiver full of these arrows, full of children, which obviously is a good thing to have kids. But, but arrows really aren't made to sit in quivers. They're not made to sit together. They're made to be shot. And arrows are, are shot with purpose. You don't shoot an arrow, you, you wouldn't shoot a gun without it being on, very much on purpose to hit a target. And so as a parent, we don't parent, uh, how do you know when kids come out, they don't come with instructions. Do you notice that? They, they, don't, they don't come with a set of instructions. The only instructions we have is the word. So that's the only place to really go to for help in, in raising kids. But our goal, really, just let me make it as plain and simple as I can. Our goal as parents is to help our kids, the arrow, point to Jesus. We can't make them have a relationship with him. We can't force it on them. We can only point them in that direction. And so really what I'm talking about this morning is how to point them with purpose, how to, how to do this so that it really does work, so that they do have a, a relationship independent of you with the Lord. And, and that's our, our goal. So here in Mal Malachi chapter 4, I find it interesting that the very last thing in the Old Testament that God speaks about is the role of fathers in positioning their children in having a relationship with Jesus. The last thing he talked about, listen to what he says. He said, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. He's, he's referring to what we'll see is he's referring to John the Baptist, not Elijah, but in the spirit of Elijah. He, he says, his preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. He, he's talking about how through the preaching of the word, through the preaching of the gospel, to those who will hear it, those who will heed it, those who will put it into practice, they'll see some terrific things that will happen. Their hearts will change. 
The hearts of the fathers will turn to their children, and the hearts of the children will, as a result, or the fruit of this, they'll turn back to their, to their fathers. And then for 400 years, God was silent. Now, you got to put that in perspective. I know we can say things like 400 years, and, and it's hard to get your mind around it. But our nation, the nation of the United States, it hasn't been around for 400 years. So for 400 years, God stopped speaking. But that just because he stopped speaking didn't mean he stopped working. See, what happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament is this 400-year period historians call intertestimonial period. It's the intertestament period. This second, they call it the second uh, temple period, this period of 400 years. What was happening? Well, the Persians were conquered by the Greeks. And you know the story of Alexander the Greek. He, he, he conquered really basically the known world. And when he did, he, he took with him scientists and culturalists for the purpose of changing the cultures wherever he went, wherever, whatever land he conquered, whatever people he conquered, he began to change the culture. And then after a period of time, the Romans, they conquered the Greeks. And, and so the, 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 the Greeks sort of began to change the culture. The Romans began to bring structure and order. They began to build roads. And, and they, they brought a common language. And so all this is happening sort of behind the scenes during this 400-year period of silence. And then it's time for God to speak again. The last thing he spoke about was a role of fathers in pointing their children toward Jesus. Now listen to the first thing. I believe he spoke in the New Testament. It's right here in your Bible in, in, in Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth and Zechariah are about to give birth to a, man, a little boy named, named John. We know him today as John the Baptist. And so the angel Gabriel comes down and he, he pays a visit to Zechariah. And here's what he, what he says to him in the 17th verse of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. He says, speaking of John the Baptist, he will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. The relationship there to Malachi. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. What he's referring to is the godly kind of wisdom that a father can share with his children to help them make decisions to, to keep them from, from being rebellious, to be able to understand that there is a, a God that we serve, a God that we want to follow. So here's the key to everything I'm about to share with you. Kids learn by example. They learn by example. They learn more from you how, what you do from, than from what you say. And we're going to find out that it's particularly important that what you do lines up with what you say. Because if you say one thing and do another, it just confuses kids. The Bible has a lot to say about the role of fathers and about leadership. And so I want to just share with you real quickly uh, five values that I think all of us fathers and really all parents can model for their children. Here's, here's the five. We're gonna talk, I'm going to share what they are, and then I'll, we'll, we'll dig into each one. First is compassion. Number two is consistency. Number three is cooperation. N number four is commitment. And number five is courage. Let me say those five one more time. Compassion, consistency, cooperation, commitment, uh, and compassion. And so let's begin with the first one, this idea of compassion. You're there. Uh, go ahead and, and, and turn over to Philippians uh, chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading in verse 19. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19. Talking about compassion. 
Here's what it says. If the Lord is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. See, God's looking for fathers who put relationships before results. He's looking for fathers who will put relationships before results. Apparently, Timothy sort of modeled this because did you notice what Paul said in verse 20? He said that Timothy would genuinely care about the people. In in other words, he's saying there's a lot of guys that Paul was involved with ministries, a lot of folks that that were on his sort of quote-unquote ministry team in his life, co-laborers with him. But he looked around the room and, and, and looked at the guys that he was training, the guys he was lifting up, and, and he realized there's only one of them that really cared about somebody else more than themselves. There are more others-centered than self-centered. And his name was Timothy. He said, I'm going to send you him because there's something about him. There's a natural compassion for him. Don't you appreciate people who have compassion with you when you make a mistake versus condemnation? They, they, they love you. They reach out to you. They try to help you, try to to lift you up. You can't have that if you're always result-oriented. You, you gotta be willing to, to, to put relationships first. But the problem is it's not easy. In fact, probably a lot of us here are, are like me. I, I find myself being more result-driven than I am relationally driven. I tend to want to accomplish it. Take them out and whatever it takes, let's, let's get something done. And unfortunately, we can take that concept of result or being result-oriented and not relationally-oriented into how we raise our kids. It's subtle, but all of a sudden, there's a burden on your child thinking that their parents always want results. They're always looking for them to do this, and so it puts a pressure on them. Will I please my parents? But mostly, it comes down to dad. I know mom loves me all the time because moms sort of get this relational stuff. It seems like it's natural. I don't know if it just happens to you by grace because you carried the child and you gave the child birth. But for dads, it's, it's not as easy. And particularly for a kid who always wants to make sure that their dad's pleased with them. So unfortunately, we can get focused on the goal of who we want our kids to be and lose sight of the joy of the process of seeing them grow up into who God's designed them to be. I remember our youngest son, Eric, he was a pretty good athlete in, in school, and his, his sister, Annie, uh, she uh, was a volleyball player in school, and she actually got a college scholarship to play, to play volleyball, and he was kind of at that age where, where the guys that really know how to play uh, ball well could sort of separate from the pack of the other, the other kids, the other players, and, and this group was a group that people would look at to scholarship and get into college, and, and, uh, and so I, I, I sensed with him this, this, this pressure of getting a college scholarship, that if there were scouts in the stands or things, he began to play differently. He began to carry himself differently. And so one day I just sat him down and I said, son, play basketball because you love basketball. If you get a scholarship, great. If you don't get a scholarship, that's great too. God will supply our need for you. He'll, he'll make sure your college is paid for. Don't you take that burden on. Don't you think that this next game is so important? Just just enjoy what you do. You know, little things like that just helps a child understand that relationships are more important than results. So what is compassion? Compassion is simply making a heart-to-heart connection with, with, with people. It's loving your kids for 
Not what they do, but just because they're your kids. I, I like what the, the, the word gives us in, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. God specifically talks to dads about this, about this pressure that we can put on kids. He says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Let me give you another translation, which I, I really like this one. It's from the Amplified. It says, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment. Do not exasperate them to resentment. What is he saying? I think what he's saying to us is, is dads, be careful not to set the bar too high for your kids. So they always feel like if they jump, they just can't get over the bar. They just can never please you. Because if they're under that pressure of I'm never pleasing my dad, then, then they're always disappointed in themselves. They're always discouraged. I mean, I don't want our kids to be disappointed or, or discouraged. No one, none of us do. So the best way to make a heart-to-heart -heart connection with our kids is just spend time with them, getting to know them as, as people. I like something that William Shakespeare said. He said, it's, it's a wise father that knows his own children. I don't know what it's like here in, in Brisbane, but I know in the, in the States that the average American father spends less than two minutes a day face-to-face -face with their kids. Just think about that. Less than two minutes, less than 120 seconds a day with their kids. I read this story, it's from an attorney. He, he said this, he said, the greatest gift I ever received was a gift one Christmas when my dad gave me a small box. Inside was a note that said, son, this year I'll give you 365 hours, an hour every day after dinner. It's yours. We'll talk about what you wanna talk about, we'll go where you wanna go, we'll play what you wanna play. It will be your hour. He goes on to say, my dad not only kept his promise, but every year he renewed it. It's the greatest gift I ever had in my life. I am the result of his time. Isn't that powerful? So, of course, we have to ask ourselves the question, when was the last time we sat down with our kids and just spent that time with them to get to know them better? So the reason we want to model this sort of compassion for our children is that we want to point them, remember the arrow, point them in the direction of understanding that God wants to have a heart-to-heart -heart connection with them. It's all about the heart. Not based on what they do, but because of who they are. Number two is consistency. In verse 22 it says this, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. Notice, notice what he said about Timothy, that he had proved himself. God's looking for fathers who put character before compromise. They'll put character before compromise. He's looking for fathers who aren't afraid to stand alone for what's right. So I don't have to tell you that in today's world, there's, we're faced with compromise all the time. The word proved here means to have a tested character. So in terms of your character, where do you draw the line? So here's some questions to ask yourself. What about your, your language in, in dealing with your children or working with them? We were very careful how we spoke with our children. Like with, with, with Luke and Eric, we said this to the boys a lot as they were growing up because how many know boys make mistakes? Boys break things. 
We came home one time. We were gone on a trip. We came home, and the boys were on the, our deck, our second-level deck. We had a two-story house and a pool down on the ground where pools are supposed to be. They're up here on the second deck, about ready to jump off the deck into the pool. Now, between the pool and the house is cement. Yeah, exactly. So you ask the question, what were you thinking? The answer, they weren't thinking. Here's what they were thinking. <laughs> it's really cool. Let's jump off the deck. So you just kind of help correct things. But then the kids would make mistakes, the boys would make mistakes. And, and so we always wanted to encourage them for them to learn. Remember, the arrow. We're, we're, we're helping the arrow point in the right direction. So we would say things like when they make a mistake, hey, you're a better boy than that. You're a better boy than that. Now that's not said in a condemning tone, but it's for them to see, oh, I've made a mistake, uh, but I can learn from this and I won't make that mistake again. Like um, our son Eric, when he was like in first grade, he, he liked to pull the girl's hair in front of him that, that sat in the desk in front of him. He liked to pull her ponytail. And we said, son, you can't pull that ponytail like that. He says, yeah, I know, but I like it. Well, you can't do that. You know, you're a better boy than that. So it reminds me, too, with, with, with Luke. I, you know, he, Luke, uh, he's right here. I'm talking about him. He's right, this guy right here, him. He had a strong will when he was a boy. Now, anybody have a strong-willed child? Yeah. Isn't that frustrating? Yeah. Because you want them to honor your will until they're ready to follow their own will. You all right, right? And submit that will to, to the Father, to the Father God, obviously. Jesus had a strong will. But he, what did he say to his dad? Let not my will be done, but yours. So as parents, we don't want to destroy a child's will. We want to temper it and mold it and shape it. So in a relationship like that, where you're dealing with a strong-willed child, somebody has to be mature. <laughs> right? And it's not the kid. It's us. So we have to deal maturely with the situation so that we, we, we help him or her develop that character and, and have that character tested so that they can understand having a strong will is a good thing. Having a strong will gets married and six weeks later moves to Australia where they've never been before. Does that make sense? So these are important just lessons to help a kid be pointed in the right direction. Speaking of integrity, here's a couple of verses. It says, people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. The godly walk with integrity. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, blessed are the children who follow them. One translation says, it's a wonderful thing or a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. We're talking about your character. What kind of language do you use? What kind of things do you say about other people? What kind of music do you listen to? What kind of movies do you watch? Where do you set the bar in terms of, of your honesty? Here's a question for you. Does my private life, is it consistent with my public image? Is my private life consistent with my public image? You know, that's really true here for, for pastors who God privileges to come and speak to a, a group of people or to stand before some leader congregation. You know, are they the same here as they are at home? That's the question. Because, because, you know, here's the thing about your character. 
You can fool your friends. You might even be able to fool your spouse, fool your coworkers, but you'll never fool your kids because they smell a phony a mile away. Bill Hybels, a pastor in the States, wrote a book one time called Who Are You When No One's Looking? What a great title. Who are you when no one's looking? And the question is, who, who are you really? It's one of the things Beth and I try to do in our, our role as pastors and parents. We didn't want our kids to see us one way up here and, and another way over here. We can't be acting one way this way and one way that way. We can't be one way inside these doors and one way outside these doors. We can't at one way at church in some different way when we're at home. You know what? It's confusing to them. Because it, for a kid, it's not, well, that's how we are there. But this is how we are here. Well, with there we act this way. Here is, we put our guard down. No, no, here you, for a kid, here is just here. Make sense? There's no there in here. They're not able to, to separate those two. There's just you. There's just right now. So you got to be who you are. So don't be anybody else. Be, be happy about who you are. You go, you know what, I'm not, I'm not who I want to be. Well, then change. Begin to renew your mind. Begin to, to let the Lord mold you and shape you into who you can be. Because that's who your kids are going to model. They'll, they'll model who, you, who they see. So what kind of consistency should a father provide? Well, spiritually speaking, come to church. So obviously I'm, I'm speaking to the choir, now you're here. But you know, the, ver- the, the best thing a dad can do is bring their family to church every week. Just come to church. And then when you come, come. In other words, engage. D- don't come to the church, and you, know, you have a great worship team here. <clears throat> don't come and, and when worship's going on, you know, just sort of sit with your arms crossed and kind of wait for it to get over so Pastor Tony or pa- Pastor Patsy will come speak. You know, just engage in worship. Because your wife might be, but your kid's not looking at your wife. Your kid's looking at you. What are you doing? They're going to model you. Mom might be, you know, hallelujah, you know, and the kid's like, oh, mom, please don't do that. You know, my friend is here, you know. but they're looking at you. So dad, you set the thermostat at your house. You're the one who sets the temperature. We, we live in an area that has greenhouses. We do a lot of greenhouses where we live. And, and so in a greenhouse, the temperature, they set the temperature at a, at a certain level and they keep it there because it's difficult to raise a plant if the temperature keeps going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Imagine how difficult it is to raise a kid and the temperature of the home is going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. So be consistently spiritual, spiritually. Emotionally be consistent. You know, keep it together. And if you're having difficulties, if you're going through some stuff, get some help. We were uh, listening to a, a friend of ours recently talking about her mom and dad who, who were having some issues in their, their married life. And she was just a young girl. And her dad said to her at one time, going through this emotional depression, this, this struggle, he turned to his daughter and he said, I should never have married your mother. What dad says that to a kid? What does that do? So if you're having struggles, if you're having issues, we have all have issues, we all go through stuff. Don't put that on your kids. 
You create the temperature. You, you set the stage. You're the thermostat. So, so don't have them go on that roller coaster with you, okay? And then finally, be a good financial steward. It, it, again, life is not about how much money you have. It's about what you, have with, what you do with what you have. How do you, how do you manage that? How, do you, how are you a steward over the things that you give? Because, again, your kids, they're, they're, not, they're not putting happiness, they're not equating that with money. Or one time our daughter Annie, she was uh, getting ready for her birthday, and, and Beth asked her, what, what would you like for your birthday? She said, she, wasn't, she said, a car or a jumper? That's funny. Do you get the difference? You have cars here. That's what you call a car, right? An automobile? I want a car or a sweater. We call them sweaters. Or a sweater. How many know they cost a little different? But in her mind, they were equal. Right? You all with me? They're all equal. I don't know, a car or a sweater. I'd be happy with either one. So again, (laughs) the point is, let's just be good stewards over the things that, that God's blessed us with. So the reason we want to model this consistency is the Lord's consistent. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. He's the same. He never changes. I'm the Lord. I change not. Everything else changes in life, but God's always consistent. Which brings us to number three, cooperation. Look at verse 25. Meanwhile, I thought I should send to you Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. God is looking for fathers who will put cooperation before competition. Let me explain what I mean by that. Paul was a rock star for the Lord. He was awesome. He was this incredible guy doing incredible things. But even he realized that ministry and life was not a solo sport. It was a team sport. You see, my ideas are good. Your ideas are good. But when we put our ideas together, they become great. So, Remember, the Bible says that one can put a 1,000 to flight, two can put what? 10,000 to flight. There's a 10-time increase of efficiency, of effectiveness when we, we learn to work together. So he calls Epaphroditus his true brother, referring to family, his co-worker, and, uh, referring to the fellowship that they have, and then a fellow soldier that we're, we're on purpose together, we're working together for this. And so here's what we mean by cooperation. That a family is a unit. Uh, uh, the Bible says that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. Those two shall become one. They become a team, a unit together. We are a team, in our case, Team Jones. And so God blessed us then with four children who joined our team. Our team's going to be different than your team. Our values, our, our things are going to be different than your things. But we have team values. We have things that we gather around, things that we're going to do. We create the culture of our family. Churches have cultures. Families have cultures. So what we did with us as a team, we would, for instance, if one of the kids had, the game, had a game, we all went to the game. When one had an activity, we all did things together. We, we worked together. When the kids were small, I used to take them give Beth a break because we had four children all about two years apart and in this process we're raising a church we're working together and we were just Beth's writing books and we just crazy schedules but I would give her a break by taking the four kids and I'd take them grocery shopping can you imagine four little kids two carts you know the kids I take them grocery shopping and but our, our fun part was we always go to the aisle where they had the toilet paper and the paper towels and we we'd throw them at each other 
That's kind of our deal. The store manager didn't like it that much, but we put most of it back when we got done. But that was our thing. We did things together. It was a, it was a, a, a team sport. We, we do things in our, in our culture of doing things together. We, we, um, for every birthday, and like anniversary or, or, or um, Father's Day or Mother's Day for us, we have a tradition in our family where we have dinner together, and then everybody goes around the table, and they have to say three things they, they love about the person who's celebrating whatever it is they're celebrating. It's simple, it's easy, but you know words are powerful. And when, when kids grow up hearing their siblings talk about each other and talk about them in ways that are affirming, I love you because you have great style, or I love you because you're very compassionate, or I love your love for God, or whatever it might be, it, it just builds up. You know, words are either build up or they'll tear down. And sometimes we're, you know, we're very cautious with words, but sometimes we're not so cautious within the family environment, and we need to be. We, we, we have some, we call our codes in our church, uh, our, just our, our value, core values, we are, they're often called. One of the core values is we don't trash talk. We don't talk bad about other people or other churches or whatever. We're talking about this code in, in, as a family. And our youngest son, Eric, said to, to us and his siblings, he, he got this look on his face. He says, you know, I've never said a bad word about my siblings. And he was like, probably what, eight, maybe 20 at the time? Maybe 18. Imagine that. Never once has he said a bad word to his siblings. So there's power to that. It helps to mold them. Remember, arrows. We're, we're pointing them to Jesus. We're pointing them in that direction of what they can be. So why do we model consistency and cooperation? We model cooperation because life's a partnership. You and I are not meant to live alone. We are meant to connect with Jesus. He's supposed to be part of our life. Remember the yoke. I put my yoke upon you. Work together. Yoke up with God with life. It, life's a team sport. And so when we model that as a family, it starts with your mom and dad. It starts with parents. When the kids, then when they're, when they're older and, they're, and you shoot them out of your house, they're going to learn to celebrate that cooperation with God. Number four. Verse 26, he goes on to say, I'm sending him, Epaphroditus, because he has been longing to see you, for he was very distressed that you heard he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. God is looking for fathers who will put cause before comfort, who put cause before before comfort. Let me explain. While Paul was in prison in Rome, this church there in Philippi received an offering for him to help his expenses. And so Epaphroditus was tasked with bringing him that offering. Now they're in Philippi. Paul's in Rome, 800 miles between those two locations. This took some time because they walked. And along the process, along the way, Epaphroditus got very sick and almost died, but he didn't quit. He kept on all the way to Rome. He was persistent in spite of pain, and he was committed to finish the task. You see, God's not impressed with great starters. He's impressed with great finishers. Epaphroditus was persistent. He put the cause of Christ before his own personal comfort. 
Commitment doesn't always equate to convenience. You know, sometimes it's not convenient to have a family, to raise a family. It's not convenient to drive your kids to this practice or that practice or this school event or whatever, or take them to a friend's house, but you're committed to it. You, you do it. It's what you do. I remember one time, our, daughter, our oldest daughter, Megan, she was, um, she's gotten in hanging out with the wrong kids at her school, and she was working for us at the church at the time. So she's in high school, and she was uh, working for us part-time, going to school, and, you know, we have certain values in our home, certain things we won't do, and one of the core values is just we're honest. We, don't, we just don't do the whole lying thing. You don't, don't lie to us. And she did about something. She, nothing earth-shaking. It wasn't, but it was enough that it would require her to sort of step back from being involved in the church for a season. And so uh, she worked, you know, for the church, so I was her, in, in essence, employer, and so when I, I had to deal with that, I, I sat her down and I said, listen, uh, you're going to have to, I'm going to have to fire you. You're going to have to fire my own kid. <laughs> That's not easy. But to fire her, well, you're fired, you know. You're out. And, you know, she's crying, blah, blah, blah. So I took my pastor hat off and I put my dad back, my dad hat on. And I said, hey, honey, uh, I heard you just lost your job. How can I help you? <laughs> you know, we're going to get through this together. We'll get through this. And, uh, and so I, we took her car away for three months, which means I had to drive her to school for three months. So it, it wasn't convenient, but it was necessary, and she didn't make the mistake again. She, she, she cleaned her act up. But again, you're committed to it. Why do we model that? Well, how many know Jesus is committed to you? I don't know how it is for you, but as a Christian, I've made a few mistakes along the way. Anybody like me? Really? Really? You guys, come on up here. You guys all sit down. Really, come on up here. No, really, we all make a mistake, right? We all, we all blow it. We all think, well, will God give up on me? Well, no, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm never going to give up on you. I'm with you. I'm all along the way. You're going to fall down, but I'm, not gonna, I'm right there. I'm going to help you back up. I'm going to clean you off, and we're going to take a step. We're going to keep stepping forward. That's why we model commitment to our kids, which brings us to number five, which means this message is about to conclude. Somebody say amen. amen. So be it. It must come to an end. Thank you. God bless you. Verse 28. So I am all the more anxious to send Epaphroditus back to you. For I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy, and give him honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while, he was, uh, while doing this for me, what you couldn't do from far away. God is looking for fathers who will have the courage to put service before self. Service before self. Notice that Paul said to give him honor because he was willing to risk his life for this. Another translation says, hold men like him of highest honor. The, the word risk here is a, is a, is a gambling term. It, it's like a... a you know the game poker? You ever heard of that game? Where, where, you know, someone's got a really great hand and they're betting, you know, I raise you, I raise you, I raise you. And somebody goes, put all their chips on the table, push them. What do they say? They go, oh, I thought you guys were Christians. No, I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm messing with you. No, they push the chip. They go, oh, I'm all in. That's what he's saying about Epaphroditus. He's, Epaphroditus was all in. So when it comes to serving one another, we gotta be all in, and, and particularly uh, as a dad. 
I think it's important for dads to be all in to the family. Sometimes the view of the dad is my job is to do the job. I go out and I work a living. I work, I work in the field or I work in the office. I work at this. I work at that. And then I come home. It's my sanctuary. It's my resting point. But you know that's a wrong way to look at life. Because what you're supposed to do is supposed to model Jesus. And, and Jesus always served. That's what he did. He served. He gave himself. And so the question you have to ask yourself, is my commitment to Christ deep enough to cause me to risk anything, to risk everything, to be different? Then the world is different. Because a dad's greatest mission field is his family. And his greatest place to serve Jesus is right there in his home with your family. Listen to what Jesus said about leadership. In fact, this verse I'm about to share with you is one of those verses that God sort of burned in my heart some 30 years ago, and it, it sort of has helped, not sort of, it has helped mold my life to the way it is today, how I've lived my, tr- tried to live my life. I made plenty of mistakes, plenty of mistakes. Even today, I find myself still dealing at times with, with selfishness or pride issues. And, and I, I wish I could tell you, someday you're, you'll arrive and it's never going to be an issue, you're just going to be this spiritual giant. You just aren't. You're just, you're just going to be always growing always a work in progress, always getting better, always becoming more like Jesus. But this verse really helped to, to, to help me as an arrow to point towards this. Here's what it says. Here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 43. It's talking about leadership. He told his disciples, he said, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So dads, here's some thoughts on serving. Clean the house for your wife and your kids. Make dinner once in a while. Do the dishes, do the laundry, change a diaper if your kids are small. But, but serve your wife and, and model Jesus to them. When my kids were, our daughter Megan was in sixth grade. Our, our school system goes from kindergarten to 12 grades after that. So about halfway through in sixth grade, they go into what we call middle school. And so they go to a different school than, than their, in her case, than her siblings were going to go to. So when that year, that summer, at the end of the summer, I told her when fall came, when we, we go back to school in the fall, that I would make her a hot breakfast every morning. I'd have her available at the dinner table, at the breakfast table, and, and all you gotta do at seven in the morning, you come down to breakfast. I'll be there, you and I'll have breakfast together, we'll read a small devotional, we'll pr- say a prayer, and then we'll, I'll take you to school. So uh, I said, I'll never come get you but I'll always be there for you. So if you sleep in, I'm not, don't worry about it. I'll just, I'll either eat your food or I'll throw it away, but I'll be there the next day. So she rarely, if ever, missed. So in, in sixth grade, which would have been what about, what are you in sixth grade, 10, 11, something like that. So for two years, every morning, I did that for her. Her and I would have that time together until her sister Annie was into the sixth grade. So Megan would now be going to eighth. Now Annie was going to sixth. So she joined us. So every morning, 
we would come together for breakfast from September all the way to the end of May, so nine months out of the year. <clears throat> I took the summers off. So we call it Big Daddy's Bistro. I always made him a nice breakfast. But it was, it was a time where we would just have together uh, and, and, and just with them and their dad. And so then when the boys got old enough, they all joined us. So that ha- for 12 years I did that with our kids. For 12 years. That was, ser- that was service. It was a sacrifice. But I wanted them to know that every morning when they get up, God's waiting for them. He's at the table. So just take a moment. Come see him. He's got something to give them. He's got a meal for them. He's got a word of encouragement to them. Because they're just arrows sitting in a quiver ready to put in a bow and shot towards something. We wanted our kids to always know that Jesus was where it was at. It's all about him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time together for helping us to understand your heart for us as a good father. Lord, I pray that, you know, as we said earlier, when we lift Jesus up, that all of us are drawn to you. And so I pray that today we're drawn close to you. And God, that as we think about our lives with you, that not only do we receive forgiveness and life and love, acceptance, that we can give it out as well. I ask it in Jesus' name. Now keep your heads bowed just for a second. I know you're probably thinking about other things right now, but right now, just put your focus on him, upon a God who created you, a God who made heaven and earth and then made you unique and special. There's no one like you on the earth. Not a single person has your DNA. Not a single person has your fingerprint, your voice print, nothing. You are unique to him. But you, like me, have sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all been separated from God's love and his plan for our life. It's just the way it is. It happened in the garden so many years ago. But Jesus came to this earth to point us to God. He's that arrow. He's the one that points us to a relationship with God. And then he gave his life for us so we could have it. And all he said was that a man must be born again. We must give our life to him, surrender our life to the lordship of Jesus. So if you've never done that, the things that I've been talking about are all from that foundation, from that position of surrender. So let me just close by leading you in a prayer. If you've never prayed it before, then I want you to know God will hear you and he'll answer the prayer and your life is going to change dramatically. Dramatically in the, the sense of it's one step at a time. So let's say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. I believe that you're a good father to me, that you love me and have a great plan for my life. And so I choose right now to surrender to you. God, help me to be the person you created me to be. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at
If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.